This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-host and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is a- Well, welcome back to Sorta Awesome, friends. This is the first episode of 2017, and I have my dear friend and lovely co-host Kelly Gordon here with me today, and we're going to explore the question, is tech taking over your life? It's the beginning of the year, and many of us have thought about how we can make positive changes to be more mindful in all areas of life. And that's what Kelly and I are going to explore today, specifically talking about technology, the impact of technology on our relationships with our spouses and our friends, with our children, and most importantly, with ourselves. We're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, Let's start the show the way we always do, Kelly, with our Awesomes of the Week. What do you have for us the first one of 2017? Hey, Awesomes. Happy January. I have a wonderful Awesome for this midwinter to start off your new year. It's a recipe. Yay, recipes. (laughs) Yes, it's a soup, which I think is so fitting. And I actually... um, put this soup on Instagram, just a picture of it in December. And so many people were like, I'm going to need the recipe for that. Um, And it surprised me a little bit because this is a soup that is very common in my neck of the woods. It's a wild rice and chicken soup. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like a creamy soup. Um, Here in Minnesota, wild rice is grown. And so it seems like everybody is one of those things that everybody has their own favorite recipe. So this is mine. And if you haven't used wild rice before, just know that it is, um, it's a very nutty rice. It cooks a little bit longer than regular rice. Um, it's, it's a whole grain, so it's healthy for you. Although there's some things in this soup that you're going to be like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good soup. (laughs) You know how my, my lasagna soup that I shared last year has all these veggies in it. Yes. Eh. This soup has bacon. so <laughs> To balance it all out, definitely. To balance it all out. That's right. So I will, of course, put the recipe online so that you guys can get the, all the specifics. But what you're basically doing is you're cooking some wild rice in some chicken stock. That takes about 40 minutes right there. And then you're going to add in um, some onion and some celery. And then in another pan, you're going to make a roux. 
So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're taking flour and butter and mixing them up and then putting in some milk, or in this case, even some half and half, if you don't mind the extra calories, and you're making a nice thick white sauce. And you're going to put those things together. I like to put in some carrots um, with the onion and celery, so that way it, it ups the veggie content just a little bit. Yeah. But eventually, then you're just going to put in some cubed cooked chicken, some bacon. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Yes, ma'am. And a little bit of cooking sherry. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm at the very end to finish it off. So you end up with this creamy sort of nutty. It's a super satisfying. You've got meat in there. You've got the bacon. So that's all, you know, nice and salty. There's the word I'm looking for. Bacon is salty. Um, it's just a really good comforting soup. Great to serve with I usually do some bread on the side if you want to dip in since it's so thick and creamy. Maybe some grapes or some clementines, you know, whatever you have in the oh, winter, yeah. some good fruit, even some pears if you've got some pears. It's just an easy dinner. I will tell you that my kids love this soup. Mm -hmm. And I also have a couple of people in my family who can't always have dairy. And so you can also make it with, you know, a lactose-free sort of some milk, something like that. That would be fine as well. And of course, you could not use half and half. You could use milk if you want. But... Great soup, wild rice and chicken soup recipe. I'm going to tell all the awesomes to go make it. It will help you get through January. I love it. I love it. This is the perfect time of year to mix up something like that. And mm -hmm. I am not, I've talked about it before. I'm not a huge soup person, but I, if we're, if I'm going to eat soup, I do love to have something with some good starch in there, like some rice to really mm -hmm. help you feel like you're filled up. So yeah. And this soup will do that. It will stick to your ribs. Good. I like it. I like it. Well, it will surprise absolutely nobody listening that my very first awesome of the week this year is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're so true to form. Everybody's like, yes, they're back. They're exactly how I remember them. <laughs> exactly. I will say this podcast, my awesome of the week this week, is unlike any other podcast I've mentioned on Sorta Awesome before. It is a daily podcast called Pray As You Go. Have you heard of this at all? I have not even heard of it. No, I had not heard of it. I thought it was brand new because I had opened up iTunes, the actual iTunes program. I was looking mm -hmm. up a podcast. A friend had asked me for a recommendation. I couldn't think of the one. So I was just going to look it up. I happened to look in the religion and spirituality category of iTunes and the very first, like the hottest of what's hot in the religion and spirituality category was this podcast called Pray As You Go. I mean, Kelly, it was even ahead of Joel Olstein's podcast, which usually sits at the very top of yeah, that absolutely. category. So I was like, huh, this must be brand new. So I subscribed to it and I was checking it out and I was looking through some of the reviews. I realized it's actually been around for several years, but it seems like it's been kind of start and stop. It hasn't been around continually. It looks like they have completely started over for the beginning of the year. So here is what the whole setup is. It's called Pray As You Go. It is produced by um, a group of British Jesuits. So if you are not familiar with what a Jesuit is, that is a sort of um, uh, a, a classification within Catholicism. You may be familiar with that term. It's been used a lot more in the past few years because the current Pope, Pope Francis, mm -hmm. came from the Jesuit tradition. He was the first Jesuit Pope. So uh, there was a lot of attention, particularly back in 2013 when he was named Pope, there was a lot of attention given to the Jesuit tradition. So 
This podcast is put together by a group of British Jesuits. So those of us here in America with our American ears that love to hear the accents and the the different speaking styles of people overseas, I think you will really like it. And what it is, it's a 10-minute daily podcast. It starts with some kind of beautiful piece of sacred music, either a chorale singing some chorus or a symphony. Sometimes it's just instrumental. And what I really like about the music is it is multinational. So sometimes they'll have um, a choir from like South Africa singing a piece. Um, sometimes it will be maybe from like the um, like the the Baltic states. I mean, there's just they they bring in music from all different parts of the world. And so that plays for a little bit to kind of um, get your mind in the right mode for the reflection that they're going to share. So it starts with this beautiful music. Then there is, um, so far, as far as I can tell, there's a man and a woman who kind of take turns uh, in terms of uh, beginning the devotional. So they begin with a short introduction. They'll ask a couple of questions, kind of get your mind into the right space, and then they will do a scripture reading, a passage of scripture, sometimes from the Old Testament of the Bible, sometimes from the New Testament. After the scripture reading, they ask a couple of questions for reflection. It's very contemplative. So they just kind of ask some open-ended questions that you reflect on. After that, they actually repeat the scripture reading so that you can listen again to that scripture, having reflected on these questions. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they give a prayer prompt and encourage you to spend a few minutes in prayerful reflection. And then that's it. And so I subscribe to this um, probably, I think it was actually on New Year's Eve when I subscribed. So I've been listening for a few days now, and it has been the most wonderful peaceful, inviting way to start the day each day. And it's, they have several, they've done this all in advance. So um, I think they're already up through maybe January 8th or 10th by now in terms of what's in the actual podcast's feed. So it's not like you have to wait for them to put it up (laughs) each morning. So it's already there in the, in the podcast's feed. And so, yes, I've really genuinely been enjoying it. It has been just what I needed to have um, something that is both new, like it's new to to me, but Mm -hmm. it feels very liturgical and very um, just like predictable in the best possible way for starting the day. Would you recommend if someone's going to subscribe that they go back to January 1st? Like, is it series based sort of, or it just pick up where you are? It just picks up. You just pick up right where you are. If you're listening to this episode in March, you could go Mm -hmm. look it up and just start where you are. And because they are, um, you know, part of the Catholic tradition, which follows the traditional church calendar. One thing I also like, I think that they will probably continue this past Christmas tide is that it remind, they remind you as they give you the date, what season of the church calendar you're in. And so like for today, they said it's January 4th in the Christmas season. And so because in the traditional church calendar, Mm -hmm. the Christmas season lasts until January 6th for Epiphany. Pray As You Go has been a wonderful addition to my life. So if you're looking for a little something spiritually reflective, if you're of the Christian tradition and want to have that as a way to start your day, or I suppose you could end your day that way as well, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's been very awesome for me.
And what a perfect awesome for this week's topic, actually. Right. Kind of speaks to where we'll end up. That's right. As I was thinking about, as we were putting this show together, I was like, oh, this actually fits in perfectly with this Mm -hmm. Crazy Go podcast I've been checking out. So, all right. Well, like I said, it is the beginning of the year. Lots of us are taking stock of our lives. We're thinking about habits that we have, habits that we want to change or habits that we want to start. Kelly and I have been talking a lot about technology and the role it plays in our lives. And we kind of have been tossing around this idea, is tech actually taking over our lives? And what impact does that have, especially for those of us like Kelly and I, and many of you who are listening, who can remember a time in life, the age before the internet, when the internet and all in smartphones and constant accessibility to everything, that was not a reality. It was like science fiction. (laughs) Right, right. So we're going to dig into that. But I thought it would be so fun if we started this episode with a little quiz. Kelly, I'm going to give you a quiz that I found on BuzzFeed. Okay, so it's a pop quiz, but it's a BuzzFeed pop quiz. It is. I feel I feel a little more <laughs> a little more confident knowing it's a BuzzFeed quiz and, and not like a real you know algebra quiz. There's still some PTSD there. Right, right, right. No math involved at all. Okay. Yes, and you will not have to conjugate any verbs. This is just yes. this is BuzzFeed level knowledge that we're talking about. Okay, I can do this. <laughs> so this BuzzFeed quiz is um, how addicted to social media are you? So BuzzFeed put together this little quiz, and um, I think it may be very interesting to see the results. I already took it, and I'll share those results after I have Kelly take this quiz. So at the beginning of this quiz, it just says, have you ever, and I'm going to ask Kelly if she's ever done any of these, and if she has, I'm going to put a check mark next to it, and we'll see what BuzzFeed says about Kelly's social media addiction. Kelly, have you ever been told by someone else that you're addicted to social media? Oh my word. You guys, this is a vulnerable show. Just know that we're all sweating over here. Yes, Megan, you have. I have been told that I am addicted to social media. Okay. I think a lot of us can relate to this next one. Have you ever texted someone in the same room as you? <laughs> Doesn't everybody? I mean, really, especially parents, right? Right. Or at least in the same house. Yes. Um, you know, for sure that. But even in the same room, there have been times I've done that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I have texted both my husband and my sister when we've all been in the same room. Sometimes things have to be said discreetly, and texting is a good way to do that. That's true, too. Or to get a child's attention. That's or true. Or if somebody's on the phone. Like, I'll text my husband a lot when he's working from home just to be like, hey, I'm leaving. Yes. So, I don't know. That's also a useful tool. Definitely, definitely. Okay, Kelly, have you ever reread your Twitter feed because nothing new has been posted? No. Okay. Mostly because I follow a lot of people on Twitter. So yes. it's there's always something new, like multiple seconds. Every second, there's something new coming up. If I really am bored and need to just look at my whole Twitter feed versus a list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever, Kelly, have you ever been aggressively upset that your Facebook newsfeed wouldn't reload? I would not say I've been aggressively upset, but have I been annoyed? Yeah. Aggressively annoyed, maybe? Aggressively yes. annoyed. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's count that. Okay. Now, this one I am curious your response on because I don't know how much experience you have with this medium. Have you ever slammed your head into your desk because Tumblr (laughs) refreshed to the top? (laughs) I have not. I have not had a lot of experience with Tumblr. 
I use it some, but if it refreshed the top, I would probably think it was more user error than actually sliding <laughs> to the desk. I actually know exactly this this situation, even though I'm not mm-hmm. on Tumblr a lot. There were a couple that I followed pretty fanatically for a time, like the literary Starbucks Tumblr. Did you ever yeah, check that yeah, out? I uh-huh. loved that oh, one yes. where they, Hysterical. Uh, this team of college kids would come up with um, Starbucks experiences, Starbucks orders for literary characters and authors. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. So, um, you, but yeah, if you're deep into a Tumblr and if you're skimming through, particularly if you're on the Tumblr app mm-hmm. and you're like trying to scroll through and that refreshes to the top, Ah, it's crazy making. And so then the next question is, have you then spent 10 minutes scrolling back down to where you were? (laughs) So no, I I don't get that point. Now, I didn't understand this one at all, but I'm going to ask you, (laughs) have you ever resurfaced pictures of your friends from 2008 by liking them? Like, why would you no, do that? No, I mean, I guess occasionally I'll see a picture that someone else has gone back and liked. Yeah. And so then you might like it again, where they're like, this isn't a new picture. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> sort of a thing. But no, I have never gone back through people's photos to do that. I don't know. I don't really, I don't understand. That. I don't understand either. Maybe somebody can fill us in behind the scenes. So we're not so ignorant on that part. Okay. Have you ever followed new accounts on Instagram because there wasn't anything new showing up in your feed? <laughs> No, I have so many people that I follow. There's always new stuff. Now, have I refreshed Instagram even while I'm looking at it because I've gotten to a point where yeah, you got to the end the of last Instagram. eight hours. You know, I'm I'm back to the old stuff. Yes, yeah. Okay, now I know you would never do this. Have you ever scrolled through the hashtag food on Instagram instead of actually eating dinner? No, no. Who would do that? No way. No. <laughs> okay. I want real things. <laughs> Have you ever read the live tweets of an event instead of actually attending it? Oh, all the time. Me too. Or, That's like or the best actual, part of Twitter. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I, I I will do that for. I I did not watch a single presidential debate last year. Right. I just read Twitter. Yes. 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 It was much less crazy making. Have you ever used YouTube as your news source? No, not YouTube, maybe something else. No, you're good about the actual news. So I'm sure that that has never been a temptation for you. Have you ever, okay, this, we're going to have to like pretend for this one because you and I uh, have been married for a long time to our spouses. So this would not apply. But the question is, have you ever Facebook creeped on your crush? If, if Facebook were around prior to marriage, is that something you would have done? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I kind of did it back then in non-technological ways. Yeah. You know, you know, you back, look back through yearbooks when people are not in the room and see what people wrote to them. And right. yeah. Yes. Did I even find out where one of my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend, like his high school girlfriend, the one that he was with in every high school photo, yeah. find out where she worked and then go eat there one time <laughs> just so I could watch her? Maybe. <laughs> And I did that without Facebook. That's right. We did. We had to We had to be innovative. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that people do a lot of digital drive-bys of people they're kind of cyber-stalking right now. We had to actually get into our vehicles and drive by people's houses or their jobs right. or whatever to see what they exactly. were Exactly. That's what I mean. So that was actual dedication That's right. right there. That's Real right. creepy level stalking. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Okay, last one. Have you ever used a hashtag out loud? 
All the time. (laughs) All the time. Okay, let's find out what BuzzFeed says about your social media addiction. Surprisingly, you are, you only scored five out of 14 on this list. And BuzzFeed wants to know if you live under a rock, you don't seem to overly use social media or use it much at all. It says, check out the 21st century. It's pretty (laughs) cool. (laughs) Ouch, BuzzFeed. I know, that was harsh. I know, although I would say probably, and this might be what you're thinking as well, what that really says is just that I'm older. Yes. And I do think that there is a mark that where things break, which you just said, we, you and I, are in the last generation that remembers life before the internet pretty vividly, you know, and yet we still partake in the internet and the technology culture. So I've often seen that mark being like, if you were born before 1985. Yes, that's right. You are part of this generation that we were talking about that remembers the before and the after. In fact, you kind of got this conversation going between the two of us because you read a really great book. Mm -hmm. It's a 2014 book, I think, from Michael Harris called The End of Absence, where he explores this idea of especially people in our generation, those born before 1985, how we are... Are the he calls us the befores. We are the people who lived before the information revolution of the internet, and then the people born after 1985. He kind of calls the afters. So that's kind of what got the ball rolling for us, talking about this sort of line of demarcation and how we approach life differently. And I do think that that's true. The quiz kind of reflects that. I only scored eight on that quiz. So a few more than you. I think the Tumblr thing pushed it over the end. (laughs) But um, yeah, so we tend to experience technology in really different ways. In fact, let's talk a little bit about what technology was even like, like in our childhood. Can you remember technology, let's say beyond the TV coming into your home, beyond TV, what kind of technology was there? uh, And how did it kind of evolve as you got into adulthood? Like, when did you even get email for the first time? Well, I'm a little bit older than you. So I didn't really even have email in college that I remember. Um, I think it was my youth group kids. I was just a few years older than them. So then I graduated and went off to, you know, my first job and got married and then they had email. So I got email when I was a young adult in my early 20s via AOL, a disc that came in the mail. My husband and I got a PC. Um, I'd had a college computer, like in the, the, there were labs where the computers were because people didn't have them. Usually just had a typewriter. Um, so, and in fact, I've horrified my kids because I said, you know, that was where you had to go to do your work yes. if you're going to do word processing, for example. Of course, there was really no internet yet to research. It was just typing papers, um, but doing it on a computer. And I remember one time being in a lab and kicking a cord accidentally under my desk and it turned off <gasps> the entire row of computers. Oh. So everybody lost everything that they were you know, working on. I mean, now we have computers that automatically save, right? You don't even have to save. But like everybody in the row, like I remember my heart's beating fast right now. It was so horrible. Yes. You know, so I remember, I remember those days, even growing up, you said TV, we had a TV, but I remember checking out VCRs Uh from the library before we bought one. Like we would go and get this big padded thing that looks like a piece of delivery box and it would have a VCR in and we would bring it home with the VHS tape. And it was like so cool. And phones? Do you remember corded phones? Oh, of course. I mean, I remember rotary phones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said something to my son just this week about having to have a phone. He was saying that he wants a phone next to his computer 
in the like computer room that we have him doing his homework at because he does not want to walk the 10 feet to the kitchen if the phone rings so he can check to see if it's his friend. Oh my gosh. And I was like, you know, so I'm mocking him. I was like, so what you're saying is you are so lazy. And he's like, mom, really? You know? And I was like, dude, when I was a teenager, I got a phone in my room because you had to stand next to the phone when you were talking. Yes, that's right. So I said, either I was standing in the kitchen talking to my friends or my parents finally let me get a cheap hot pink phone that I plugged into my room and had a cord on it, of course. But at least I could just sit in my room then and talk to my friends. And he looked at me like, I hear the words coming out of your mouth. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, that is such a horrible life. I can't even imagine. I will tell you that the technology that I remember that was felt advanced to me was probably when I was like a senior in high school, I got a typewriter that was also an electronic typewriter. So you could type one line of text in a tiny little area where you could see it so that you could change things before you actually let it go out and put the words on the paper. And I was just like... Oh, man, I am living large. Yes, I also (laughs) remember that. As I think back on technology in my childhood, I do remember, I remember the onset of the VCR. That was a big deal. Um, Going then later to video stores, like your local video store, and then eventually to (laughs) Blockbuster. Kyle and I were laughing the other night about how our girls don't really understand rewind. Like they don't understand that there was actual tape or, you know, any other kind of media that needed to be rewound. And we were just thinking about how funny that was. Um, I remember our first computer in our home was a Commodore 64. (laughs) I don't know. I have to, I need to ask my parents what inspired them to buy it because they did get it, but nobody used it for anything except playing games. And so we would play like snake bite. My dad was a dentist. And so he got us this game called tooth invaders. That was like, (laughs) I love that. It was a, like <laughs> about brushing and flossing your teeth. And it was, of course, like you have to imagine Commodore 64 level of technology. Right. Um, and then as I was graduating from high school, more people had PCs in their home where you could do word processing. I remember mm-hmm. my friend Andy was the first one in our friend group who had any kind of internet access at all. And we would go over and watch him get on the internet. And I guess it must have been like AOL or whatever was like a pre-AOL thing. So he would, you know, fire it up and we would just be like transfixed, like what's happening? And in fact, okay, so I graduated high school in 1995. I went for an interview for a scholarship that I was applying for at the university that Kyle and I went to. Um, and I was sitting in this professor's office and he was kind of explaining the internet to me. And he was talking about how you, we could be sitting right here in Oklahoma and be able to view works of art from this museum and like, you know, whatever in Paris or whatever. And like, we were both just like looking at each other, like dumbfounded, like, how is this a thing that's possible? <laughs> Right. So then when I went to school in the fall of 1995, when I went to college, that's when I got my first email address. And we did have writing labs all around the university where you would go and sit and do your word processing. You could get on there to check email. So I checked my email like maybe three Mm -hmm. times a week, you know, like I'd send email to friends at other universities. And then three days later, I'd, (laughs) you know, get a response. And so um, we also had, of course, this was all on dial-up. Yep. So the the it was just like a hassle almost to log in and get your email. Um, the operating systems on our campus were like MS DOS, like super super <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> super basic. 
So that's what technology did look like. Like that's what we have grown up and come through. And now, you know, here I am, I'm recording on my Mac laptop, recording over Skype as you sit in Minnesota and I'm in Oklahoma. And if a if a web page takes longer than like five seconds to load, I'm like, refresh, refresh, what's going on? We really, I think it's kind of wise to stop and take stock like this, even though it's kind of funny. And there might be millennials who are listening to us and going, I've, you guys are nuts. I didn't know how old you were. But to be able to say, look, this is where we started. And that was not that long ago. I think that's the thing that when I was reading Michael Harris's book, when he's saying, wait, we are the generation who can really speak to both halves. And it would behoove us, 50 points for behoove, um, to take stock and say, we are getting so much. We know that to some degree. What are we giving up? What is it costing us to be here where we are today with what you're saying? You know, when we can do anything, we can, you know, go to a museum in London without ever having to even get dressed, much less leave our bedroom. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this impact of technology, how it has changed these different aspects of our life, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the not so good. Let's kind of just talk about relationship wise, Kelly, friendships, um, our relationships with our spouses. What kind of give me a picture of what this has looked like for you as it's maybe evolved through the years? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought was so interesting that I had not really thought about, but it was such a good point in Michael Harris's book, is he says, you know, obviously, society, our culture has always changed. But traditionally, things took a long time to change. So he went all the way back to the printing press. You know, Gutenberg's invention really did change everything about the world. And I had not really stopped and thought about that. But, you know, he kind of unpacks it. But it took centuries for those changes really to happen. Took a long time for people, you know, to adapt. Um, it changed the church. It changed how we, we read. It changed how people move about the world. It changed how we govern. I mean, it changed everything, but slowly. And with each advancement of our technology, if you would call it that, change has gotten faster and faster. So, you know, here we are talking in our lifetime, monumental, really sort of cataclysmic changes have happened. And so, if we don't kind of say, hey, this has changed how we interact with each other, um, one of Michael Harris's big things, and we'll, I'm sure it'll just get referenced over and over again, especially in the relationship area, is that we have lost um, solitude, um, the, the ability to truly be alone, that sort of thing. But our lives, because we're changing so fast, we really have to think within the single generation, what has it done? I would think I read a horrifying article last year in Vanity Fair called Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. Oh, man, that freaks me out just thinking about it. It, it truly was horrifying. It's a really good article, um, really not safe for kids, just so you know, but it's um, very long. And it really got into, you know, if you're a 20 something in New York today, what does dating look like? And they were saying, you know, in the world of Tinder... And all the other, you know, even Match.com, all the online abilities that you have, um, people don't even talk anymore. There's not even that uncomfortable moment of, hey, I was wondering, like Friday night? You know, you don't even have to have that because even in a high school setting, because of texting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't have to make conversation. Right. And I, I see this in my kids some, but I see it in me too. 
you know, we've joked on the show, but with good reason that we don't like to talk on the phone. Right. Yes. And there are good reasons for that. And oftentimes texting is better, but there is something to be said for that uncomfortableness of learning how to be in a messy, slow moving, um, fraught with peril relationship that words require. Yes. You know, so I do like the ability to edit myself, Mm -hmm. but when I'm texting, I'm editing myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we don't know how to just talk with somebody and be okay with that, that's, that's a hard thing for today. What about you? I mean, I have some other things about that, but I'm just thinking, does that resonate with you in your life too? Oh, it absolutely does. Um, I was just thinking about this, not even in terms of dating, but like in terms of friendships, Mm -hmm. which again, you and I, we are in our, you know, in the stage of life where we've been married, we haven't been on the dating scene Mm -hmm. in a long time. So we look at those things and we're like, like you said, we're like horrified. Like I cannot even imagine, but it does translate into our lives in the realm of friendships. Exactly. And how, you know, we often have talked on the show about the difficulty of friendships. We hear in the hangout group, women talking about the difficulty of making friends. And I do have to wonder if part of it is because we have lost that ability to even like, we are so averse to that awkward yes strange like just like oh i don't know you and you don't know me but do you want to go get coffee kind of thing um we just want to avoid that awkwardness but at the same time like to make real life in your community connections and friendships you're going to have to go through that awkwardness and so i do wonder how it changes friendships and then there's the very very weird phenomenon of the fact that you can follow people on social media in your own community Maybe you have mutual friends, but you don't actually know them. Um, but then maybe you, because you have mutual friends, you cross paths. So like at a, maybe at a friend's birthday party or um, a dinner or something like that, you might bump into somebody that you've been following on Instagram for like months, but you've never actually met. And then there's that weird thing that maybe they follow you. So you're meeting each other for the first time and you know all of these things about that person's life, their kids, their job, all of this stuff. But you don't even know each other. Right. And so um, in some ways, I guess maybe it can kind of break the ice for forming new friendships for, right. or for deepening friendships even. Um, it's just so interesting to think about how, like I think about my mother and her friendships and how we always were in small towns in Oklahoma. So her friendship pool was kind of limited. But I mean, that was the thing. There weren't a lot of choices for friendships. So people that she either knew from our church or maybe from, um, you know, other parents of kids, we had kids the same age, maybe they would become friends. But that was basically it. That was the pool that you were limited to. Mm-hmm. And now we have, it's kind of one of those things where we're ruled by the the tyranny of choice when it comes to you can be friends with so many people online and offline. And yeah, I don't yeah, know. But, I but I don't where's know the debt there, right? right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's not just making friends. It's also just being present with our friends. Right. And this is something that I've thought about, you know, I am always have my phone with me. And I say, which is true, that it's partly so that if my kids need me, they can reach me, my spouse, whatever. But the idea of just not having my phone with me at all when I go out with friends is a little anxiety inducing, to be quite honest. Um, But I've seen that happen, you know, where we tend to look down when it buzzes. Mm -hmm. Um, We tend to check it when there's a break in conversation or 
whatever, you know, maybe we're getting uncomfortable in our mind and we say, well, I'm going to go to the phone to break that tension that's mental. Um, we're not present. Mm-hmm. Right. We're distracted. We're fractured. And so before we didn't have a choice. Right. Um, we're not trying to say that we're anti-technology at all. Um, we are pro-technology and there's so many good things that can come about because of technology and relationships. You know, you can meet people that you would never have met. You can find people who have similar interests. We're just saying that as we slam into this new world of all of these advancements, what are we maybe forgetting that we used to have? And I think that that ability to be present with people, to truly give them undivided attention is one of those things. Um, I watched, and maybe many of the awesomes did this last week, it has been shared on Facebook more than a million times, a video by a man, I'm not sure if I'm going to get his name right, Simon Sinek? Oh, yeah, Simon Sinek, yes. Okay, Sinek, okay, so it's, I was, mm-hmm. the, the video is called Working with Millennials. It's about a 15-minute long video. Um, but what when I watched it, what really stood out to me was this whole idea of technology, and that's what he's partly talking about, because, again, millennials swim in the after stream. So if you're a millennial and you're listening, you know, you don't even know some of the things that you've given up um, because of this new world of technology. And he talked about even a work colleague relationship. He said if he was in charge of a business, and he was speaking to a lot of business leaders, I think, in this video, he would say there are no cell phones allowed in the conference room. Mm, Or even, I think even like technology, like not even laptops. He said, because what happens is we are not developing the depth of relationships that we need, not only in our friendships lives, maybe even with our spouses, but even in the work experience Mm -hmm. to be able to truly work together. So he said, you know, what happens is when you bring your phone in to a conference or to some sort of a meeting, everybody's sitting and checking their phone. Yes. Even if they're pulling up notes for for the meeting, that sort of thing, versus saying, oh, Hey, Megan, how did that go for your son last week when he was playing in that, you know, that game, that sort of thing? In fact, I have heard people say that this is one of the things that has led to us here in America, the extreme polarization of Washington, Mm. is that 25 years ago, senators and congressmen and women, they still talked at dinner Mm -hmm. and they didn't fly home as much because it wasn't as easy. And so they were friends outside of, you know, Capitol Hill. And so they were more able to hear each other, to find common ground and to learn compromise. But when you take that away, when we no longer just talk and build those relationships, which take time, they require trust, they're slow, they're not immediate, we lose something. And I think that we're all seeing that here in our culture and when it comes to relationships. Yeah, I just I think that's just such those are such great examples that there are so many relationships in our in our lives that we have to almost be like super proactive to develop in ways that are really present. Kyle and I really try to do this often in terms of like we have spaces of time where we are not on our phones at all. Our phones are put away. Uh, For example, since we started working out together three times a week, Kyle is a very strict coach and he is like, nobody's going to be on their phone. Your mind has to be on the weights that you're (laughs) lifting. So no Facebooking, no texting, nothing. So he's very strict about that. So that's like an hour and a half, three times a week that we are just like out there talking, just, you know, talking about every kind of crazy thing under the sun. When the weather's nice, we like to go out in the afternoons in the backyard with the twins and watch them play. And again, we just, we didn't even ever say like, no phones, but it was just kind of understood that it was just going to be time for us to just talk, catch up, connect. We have the freedom to do that because Kyle works from home. But I do think that in 
in every relationship, it's gotten to the point where we have to say, this is, this is phone free time. Right. One relationship we haven't really talked about, I know this won't apply to everybody who's listening, but it definitely has an impact on our parenting and how we're raising mm-hmm. our kids too. Your, your kids are certainly in that age where texting and social media is a part of their friendships. It's a part of their everyday life. So what does that look like as you, as you have kind of navigated it along the way? Man, I feel like I'm not navigating it as well as I would like. And I think that I try to give myself grace because we are in this generation where we're like, I don't know. We're just trying to do the best we can. You know, like as science hasn't always caught up. Our brains and our bodies haven't caught up with the technology that we have available. So we're just I feel like I'm muddling along with that. You know, I mean, I've seen the statistics Um you know, like it says, like nobody texts more than girls who are 13 to 17. You know, like they, the median number is like 100 texts a day. That's not even getting into Snapchat, which I think is far more used by most teens today than, you know, just actual texting. Um, I will say, and this goes back again, when I've done some presentations for fellow moms about social media, because I'm seen as the expert, which is a scary thing, <laughs> you know, which I'm not really. Again, we just said, like, I only scored five on BuzzFeed, <laughs> but is that I do think there's so many good things about social media and teens. Um, and I really came around on Snapchat. It still scares the dickens out of me in a lot of ways. But one of the things that they said is that kids today, if they're, and again, my kids, anybody that's listening, probably your kids, they are swimming in this. They are part of the after generation. They only know to filter their lives. You know, that's it's curated. When you're sharing your life, online, it's curated. And so Snapchat's not curated Mm -hmm. as much, you know, it's unfiltered and it allows them to maybe be more kids. So I do think that's a good thing about it. But for the most part, I would just say, I have seen what we were just talking about, that my kids are struggling to figure out how to do authentic relationships Mm. and just even talk Mm -hmm. to other people. Um, It's not a skill set that they have to practice. Right. Um, And this was, again, this cuts both ways. When my daughter started high school last year and she was at a new school and she was, honestly, I don't think that she would care if I said this, terrified, you know, you're, you don't know anybody, um, to go to that first lunch and not know where to sit and not know people. She was so glad to have her phone. She texted me through the whole lunch period. Mm -hmm. So she had somebody to check in with. And I was so glad as a mom that I could check in with her and be like, you're doing great. How is it going? You know, that sort of thing. But then what happens is I've been in groups of teenagers. Where they're all just texting and they're not talking to each other. They're not taking advantage of the things that, again, we, the before generation, I went to lunch my first day when I started a new school in high school too. And it was so painful. That's why I was glad my daughter didn't have to deal with the full onslaught of pain. But you had to talk to people. You had to say, can I sit here? What class do you have? Yeah, I am the new kid. That sort of thing. So I do see my kids struggling with that. Well, I think that that is such a great point about the struggle, because we can see the ways that technology can save our children from some pain. That's a great example. But also as adults, we know that sometimes the biggest learning opportunity comes from moments of pain and moments of frustration. So it's like, as parents, of course, we naturally want to save them. But at the same time, we're like, but how else are they going to learn these skills? I do have to say um, that I think different campuses handle it differently. For example, AJ, our third grader is still in elementary. They can't have devices out mm-hmm. at any time for any reason. They're in elementary and that's a, that. 
has not been a problem on that campus. And so, you know, AJ with her little best friend, they are together almost every weekend. They do the same things that I did as a little girl. They watch movies, they play silly games. Now they do play Wii, but we had Nintendo and stuff growing up. And so um, I see them that they, since they have no devices around, they're doing all those kid things. Um, I see the change with my sixth grader who she None of our kids have devices that um, have like phone and text capability. We just um, don't feel like that our sixth grader is quite ready for that yet. And really that she doesn't have the need for it. If she needs to get a hold of us, she can ask a friend to borrow the phone. I mean, honestly, or this is very old fashioned, but if she needs to get a hold of me during the school day, she'll go to the school office and use the school phone mm-hmm. and call me. Um, so in some regards, as a sixth grader, I feel like she's right on the cusp of that. And so when her friends come over, she goes over to friends' houses. I see a little bit. It's like they do have devices. They're still mostly talking and playing, but then also sometimes they'll, you know, be like, oh, let's watch something on YouTube together. I mean, you mm-hmm. see the blending of it, I feel like a little bit more, but I do know that day is coming when the, it's going to be like so heavy on texting and so heavy on Snapchat and what other, whatever other app is, you right. know, popular at the time. So yeah, it's just kind of a back and forth. But one thing that Michael Harris talked about in an article that he wrote called Teaching Digital Natives to Be Alone which mm-hmm. is a huge thing. He talks about how as parents, we have to figure out how to engineer solitude for our kids. And that that might involve being the mean parent who actually takes their device away, you know, maybe like freezes their device for a little bit of time, however much seems appropriate for the family. And make your kids be bored. Make your kids find something to do that hasn't doesn't have to do with a screen. One thing that we've done as a family, I don't know how long this is going to last, so don't anybody hold me to this, but up to this point, we do not have movies for our kids to watch on car rides. When they're in the car, they're just like looking out the window or they can read some, a couple of them like to read as we're going along. They can play, the twins like to play with little toys or whatever, but we just feel like car rides are a great time to be bored. It's a great mm-hmm. time to just let your mind be free and look out the window and just take in the scenery of what's around you. So that's one way we've tried to engineer a little bit of solitude. When you have four kids, how much solitude can you have when you're all crammed right. together in the in the minivan? But right. But it's not really solitude as much as it is like solitude in your brain, yes. right? It's not being distracted. Yes. I saw somebody say, what we're, wake- what we're dealing with today with our kids and ourselves is we wake up and we don't say, what should I do today? But what did I miss? Yes. Yes. Right? It's like the ultimate consuming FOMO. And so that's the, the thing that we're trying to do. And I, I think that it's good for us to stop and acknowledge what's happening to our brains is that Without that boredom, without that distraction, our brains can grow. And so if we're always distracted, and hey, I'm going to raise my hand here and say, I hate being bored. I am not saying this to my kids because I've got it figured out. I reach for my phone all the time. In fact, last night, I was putting my phone back on its charger in the kitchen, because that's one thing we do do is we make sure that nobody has devices in their bedrooms. They all charge in one spot at night. As I'm putting it on the charger, I'm hitting Instagram. Yes. <laughs> I do that. As too. I'm putting it on the charger, I'm done. I've already said I'm done. But my fingers operate without my brain. Yeah. Like I do it all the time. Yeah. And I was like, girl, I- I'm preparing for this show. You know, <laughs> I don't know how to control myself very well. And in fact, I think you saw this term too. I don't know if it was in that same article, but they were talking about how we're so much more aware today as parents. 
or even as caregivers of children, even if you have a child in your life about like nutrition and and we're not going to eat too much sugar and we need to make sure we're balancing things and that sort of thing. But we haven't really started to think about it in terms of the digital world. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're like digital obesity is what we're dealing with. Yes, It's just all consumption without thought. And we're, and this is a chance for us to say, wait a minute, what if even by example, I as a parent modeled some solitude and some boredom um, and said, no, that's good. This is how I want to live. I don't need to be plugged in all the time. It's not good for my brain or my soul to be constantly distracted Mm -hmm. from what's going on, whether it's just even the beautiful things of life or the numbing. I think that's another thing is, you know, a lot of people will talk about the dopamine that you get a hit when you're checking your social media. Um, When we get bored, we just want somebody to interact with us. And I think it was in that video on Facebook yes. and you guys will link to these if you haven't seen it. Right. But he says, and it's so true, you know, that dopamine is the chemical in our brain that fires up when we drink, mm-hmm. when we have do drugs, when we gamble, it's addictive. Mm-hmm. And so he said, we have age limits on all those things. But when it comes to teenagers and social media, it's like we've opened up a liquor cabinet, a digital liquor cabinet and said, hey, if adolescence is hard. Here you go. Yes. You know, like go on Instagram, go numb yourself on YouTube. We're not teaching them the skills to really deal. And this kind of goes back to that self-care sort of a thing to really deal with things. Mm-hmm. Life is hard. How do you deal with stress? You can't just keep going back to social media. And again, I do this all the time. Yeah. But trying to say, hey, wait, I want to set a better example for my kids and for the people around me to say, I social media can be used wisely and with intention, but we right now maybe are too mindless with our consumption of it. Well, I want to point out for everyone, if if you're not familiar with um, our personality types that, well, for, first of all, Kelly and I are both ENFPs on the Myers-Briggs scale, which we like to be engaged and have fun as ENFPs. But also mm-hmm. Kelly is an Enneagram type seven and Enneagram type sevens, I think maybe truly have the hardest time with not having fun and not being entertained and not, you know, with the idea of being bored, I think for your type would be the most challenging. So the fact that you're willing to like say, no, I'm going to push against that. I'm going to be a model of what it's like to not be constantly engaged with social media, with technology around the house. I think that's really admirable. So <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about parenting and, 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 and kind of our relationships with our digital natives in our lives, whether they're our children or other people that are younger than us. Let's talk about on the personal side of things, Kelly, how technology kind of has moved into our lives in this way. And I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit here and there as we've talked, but do you have any like really specific personal things where you you can say, I see technology taking over my life in this way? Oh, so many. Honestly, when I started to think about it, there was a whole chapter of Michael Harris's book on memory and how shared digital memory is taking over. And again, I didn't really even think about it in these terms before, but it's taking over what we used to have to do with our brain. Recall. Do you remember anybody's phone number anymore? Like my sister's who she's had the same cell phone number, like literally for over 15 years. So yeah, that's basically it. And then Kyle's, I know his, but that's it. Yeah. I, I know my husband's. I don't know my daughters. Like everything is programmed. I don't have to remember those things anymore, which is wonderful in some ways, but we're not using our brains. I have a rental car right now because my car got slightly rear-ended and it has an actual key mm-hmm. versus a start button. Mm-hmm. Every single time I get in this rental minivan, I push the spot where the key goes. 
And then I'm like, oh, I'm so annoyed. I have to rummage through my purse to find these stupid keys. Yeah. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to think about stuff like that. It's just so many things. We can just access information. And my kids will say this to me. Why do I need to learn this? I can look it up on Google. Right. Yes. Right. And there is a point where there's a part of me that says, you know, probably education is also struggling to keep up with the digital age. And I've, you know, heard some great TED Talks saying, hey, maybe we do need to rethink the way we educate our kids and not so worry about getting facts in their brains because these facts are now available. But, you know, how this changes our brain, there's a great word that I read, and it actually was coined by Douglas Copeland, but it was in Michael Harris's book called Smoopid. And smoopid is smart, stupid. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it is where we say, I can find out anything, but I don't really understand anything. Mm. Mm. Gosh, that's good. Right? And I thought that's where we are. We can learn anything we want on the internet, but do we really understand it? Do we have the depth of anything? And I'm not sure that we do. Right. Um, so I see that in my own life. And also, you know, the other thing, and this is probably the scariest thing to me, and maybe this is because ENFP and Enneagram 7, but I used to pride myself on multitasking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I still kind of do. And I don't like to sit still and that sort of thing. But science is catching up and proving what my husband has often said, which is we don't multitask. Our brains are literally not wired to do that. Um, we task switch very quickly. But because I am so distracted and I live in this constant fractured state of a little thought over here and a little social media here and, hey, look, my finger just hit Instagram again and why did I open the fridge? I don't even remember why I'm standing here. Why am I standing here? Um, I live so fractured. I have lost the ability to focus. Mm, yes. Yeah. To really focus. And so especially as soon as I turn on technology. Phew, Right. There it goes. Right. Before technology, like in the mornings right now, if I get up and I'm just unloading the dishwasher and doing all those kind of mindless tasks that I do in the morning, packing lunches, if I don't turn on my phone, I'm a little better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I start to check the phone, I'm gone. And hours can be gone. And I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. Exactly. Um, So that's what I'm really scared of. Again, I tend to be optimistic by nature. I am not anti-technology. But the more I have been thinking about this the last few months the more this part of it really scares me. I'm going to read a book that has um, that talks about the distracted mind. Mm -hmm. That's actually the title of it. And they talk about, and I love stuff like this, you guys. So it's, it's really the science, it's neuroscience, you know, like what's really happening in our brain. But they say there's, we deal with constant interference. Mm -hmm. Those are distractions outside and internal. Yes. So even if we say, and I think that's really good to keep in mind here as we kind of, you know, come down to where maybe the rubber meets the road here at the end is we can get rid of some external distractions, but we're still dealing with them internally because we have changed our brain chemistry. We have changed what we expect. Um, And this again, goes back to our relationships and our kids, like that's happening all around us. So that's the thing that's probably is the most frightening when I look at my inability to really focus on something, to, you know, go deep, to not be distracted. I might even try at some point this year to unitask. Yeah. Can I even just focus on one thing for, you know, a week, not one thing for a week, but, you know, like for a week, just be like, nope, if you're doing that, you can't do that other thing at the same time Mm -hmm. and just see what happens to my concentration level. You know, I, that's one reason I'm really looking forward to the reading challenge I've taken up for this year, that mm-hmm. book riot, read harder challenge, because for me, reading is the one place where I will stop in unitask. Yes. I'm not trying to do anything else. I like to, you know, sit down with a book. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. But I totally hear what you're saying in terms of the distractedness, the inability to focus. As we were preparing for this show, I remembered back last year when um, we had Dana White on the show, my awesome of the week that week. And I can't remember the episode number because my memory's shot because of technology. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember it was that show with Dana. Um, My awesome of the week was this article from Outside Magazine called The New Science of the Creative Brain on Nature. Mm -hmm. In this one paragraph, I went back and looked through it. This one paragraph really described how I feel the drain of technology in my life. It says, psychologists have hypothesized that the constant demands of emails, notifications, and general busyness put a significant burden on the prefrontal cortex of the brain, the region involved in multitasking and other higher order thinking like critical thinking and problem solving. Mm -hmm. Those small demands add up to drain our attentional resources, making us distracted and cognitively fatigued, which in turn makes it difficult to focus, think deeply, and come up with new ideas, which really mirrors what you were just saying. Now, of course, in this article, they were talking about how Spending time in nature is a significant way to renew the energy of the prefrontal cortex. But I was thinking that phrase, cognitive fatigue, that describes my life so much, Kelly. Like the fact that my alarm is on my phone. So when my alarm goes off, I naturally am picking it up. There's that thing in me that wants to be like, open Facebook, before I've even had coffee, open Facebook, look at my email, read the skim, skim through Instagram. And I hate it because I feel like it's like what you said. When we wake up, we don't think, what am I going to do today? We think, what do I miss? What did I miss overnight? I have felt the drain and that I feel like something is always wanting my attention, like that, that energy is being drained out of me. And so for me, it's like, how can I engineer solitude in my own life? starting from the time I wake up in the morning, because it's so I do by the end of the day, I feel so exhausted. And I do think it's just like that paragraph said, it's all Mm -hmm. of these small little dings, these small little notifications throughout the day, just leaves us exhausted at the end of the day. And so I have come to treasure times like taking a shower, or taking a bath, (laughs) or even for myself car drives, um, if I can not pick up boxer, if I can not pick up a podcast, and just like, be quiet, while I'm driving for 20 minutes across town, that it allows me to feel a little bit of refreshment throughout yep. the day. You know, I, the, the phrase that I heard that really mirrors what you're saying is continuous partial attention. Ah, uh, yes. And they were talking about how even when we watch a movie, we're tweeting and we're looking up who that actor is and that sort of a thing. Um, I find that the time that I tend to watch TV or Netflix is when I'm folding laundry. And the reason it is that same sort of refreshment that you're talking about is because my hands are busy. Yes. I can't go and look up other things. I just have to mentally be thinking about the TV show and my body is working. And I saw a quote and I thought, this is an old quote. It's by David or Henry David Thoreau um, in Walden. He says, in proportion, as our inward life fails, we go more constantly and desperately to the post office. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's writing 100 years ago and saying that as we fall apart in the inside, we look for those external distractions. We go to the post office. Of course, today it's the inbox. Yes. But that's true, right? When we get frustrated and we, we do, we go to the inbox, we go to Twitter, we go to all those things. And that constant distraction 
is just changing the way we live. It's changing the way that we operate as people. You know, I think I'm so glad that you said that because it reminded me of what I wanted to say about Michael Harris's work again with the end of absence. And and we'll link, he's written several articles. If you don't have time to sit down and read the whole book, he's written several articles that really capture the essence of his book. And again, he's not anti-technology. He has even Mm -hmm. said, it's not that technology is good or bad. It just is. It's just a reality of our world. But I think an end point of his work is for us to stop and recognize the toll it takes on our inner lives, our inner world. And so speaking of that, we here on the Sort of Awesome team, we thought it'd be fun in 2017 to put together some challenges for the Sort of Awesome community. And this is going to look different throughout the year, but we thought it would be really fun to throw out a challenge to you guys. If you want to take us up on it, we will be participating in it. We thought it would be really interesting, an interesting experiment and a good challenge at the beginning of the year to figure out ways to engineer solitude in our lives. This is going to look different for everyone. I'm going to commit to having a social media fast one day a week. It's probably going to be Sunday, I think, um, and do that for three months and just see what that does for my inner life, for my inner world. Um, it, as a mom of four kids and um, a you know a, a podcast producer and creator and you know just a regular human in our world, it's really hard for me to find actual solitude right. <laughs> where there's nobody around me. But how can I engineer some mental solitude? How far right. can I push myself into boredom? That's the challenge that I'm going to take up. We would love to see how engineering solitude looks for you. Kelly, do you have an, an idea in mind of what this might look like? Or are you still thinking on it? I'm still kind of thinking on it. I do want to take some hours or a day for me and my family and just be screen free, not just even social media, but just say, what if we're not even on screens at all? Right. Um, you know, in any way and see how that, but I also, one of the things I've really noticed is how much time I waste, you know, because we go to these things automatically because we live distracted. Um, I am going to use circle, mm. which we've talked about several times on the show. Um, it's a, parenting really software, but you could also use it on yourself. So I'm going to put limits. You can limit apps or visits to to websites for a certain amount of time. So like, for example, you could say to your, you know, you could say your kids only get 20 minutes a day on Snapchat, whatever you wanted to do. I'm going to put it on myself and be like, even if at this beginning stage, I say, oh, well, I've still got to be on Facebook for my job or whatever. Yes. It's just going to make me aware. Hey, look, you've already been on Facebook an hour, girl. You know, that sort of thing. So I think even just doing some things like that. um, And then I'm really trying to get better about um, we over at the Sorty Yogis spinoff group of our hangout. We're doing um, Adrian's 31 days of yoga revolution. So doing yoga and meditation, which just like nature that you talked about, can push back Mm -hmm. against some of those changes that are really true changes to our gray matter, pushing back against that. um, I feel like the more I do that and I feel my brain exhale and my soul, the more I am drawn to that. And the cotton candy allure of social media and screens isn't quite as acute. Right. So those are the things that I'm going to try to do. I like that. I like that. You're, you're referencing yoga with Adrian that's on YouTube, right? Yes. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, in that, in that spinoff group, um, it sounds like you guys have a good plan already and didn't even know it was going to fit into this. So anything that you can do in your life to engineer a little solitude, it's going to look different for everyone. We wouldn't try to prescribe it for anybody, but that's our challenge for these first three months of 2017. So we can't wait to hear how that plays out for you. We would love to hear 
hear your thoughts on whether or not technology is taking over your life if you're a before or an after and what that means for you. So uh, you can always find us on social media, in fact, because we're always on there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to end the show by contradicting everything. That's right. Exactly. Come find us on social media. <laughs> exactly. Come talk to us and distract us from our lives. Exactly. But Kelly, please do remind us where we can find you all around the web. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly at Lovewell and Facebook is facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life Sorta amazingly awesome. Thank you once again to PrepDish.com for sponsoring today's episode. To start the new year or any time of year off on the right foot with healthy eating and less stressful meal planning, head on over to PrepDish.com slash Sorta Awesome to start your two-week free trial. Thank you so much to PrepDish.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.